This episode of Author Stories is brought to you by the Writing Mastery Academy. Founded by Jessica Brody, author of the best-selling plotting guide, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. The Writing Mastery Academy features online, on-demand writing courses, including the official Save the Cat Writes a Novel companion course, novel fast drafting, crafting dynamic characters, and productivity hacks for writers to name just a few, plus monthly live webinars on various writing topics. Go to jessicabrody.com slash hank to learn more and get your first month of unlimited access to all the content for just $6. That's right, just $6. jessicabrody.com slash hank. You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret White. Terry Brooks. Sheena Kamal. Matthew Quick. J.T. Ellison. Walt D. Williams. Brad Ford. Corey Doctorow. Brandon Sanders. Robin Mom. Ernest Klein. Jim Butcher. Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Julie Metz on the show with me. She has an amazing new book. It's called Eva and Eve, and what a tremendous book. This is uh, – Julie, as, I, uh, you know, as I've read the book and then uh, – this, this is such a treasure trove. Um, I, I – I'm I'm grasping for words of how to uh, to, to talk about this book because it's it, it it's so amazing. Anyway, we're going to talk all about it today, and and hopefully we'll get into all the stuff that uh, that makes this book as wonderful as it is. Um, but welcome to the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. It's wonderful. Well, thank you, uh, Julie. We begin each show with the same question, and that question is. What is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Well, that is an interesting question because I didn't start out my working life uh, being a writer at all. I was a graphic designer and was so for very many years. Um, I did keep a diary as a child and I was very devoted to it. One of the earliest reading experiences that I remember having a really profound effect on me was reading Anne Frank's diary. I think I was about 10. And of course she was, uh, she treated her diary as a friend uh, and named it Kitty. And so I sort of personalized my diary and I have went into many volumes. (laughs) So that was really my early writing experiences. And it wasn't until um, some earth shattering life events uh, happened that I felt propelled to become a writer. Wow. Um, were you, were you a bookish kid, uh, Julie? Were you one of those kids that walked around with her nose in a book all the time? Yes, I was. <laughs> so I always <laughs> read, um, I read widely. My parents both worked for Simon and Schuster. So, uh, our house was stuffed with books of all sorts. Um, my favorites were, uh, fairy tale books, mermaids, elves, um, lots of uh, J.R. Tolkien, and then many of those kind of uh, YA series of novels that I read just, you know, 
endlessly. But also my parents had more adventurous books on their shelves and it was all available to me. So I read perhaps some things that maybe weren't age appropriate, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot on this show. There's, there's, there's lots of, of, of kids who, uh, you know, delved into their parents' bookshelves yeah. and, and maybe waded out a little, a little deeper than they expected. But yeah. you know, I think most folks have turned out. Okay. <laughs> yes. We turned out just fine. The, the, the other thing is that um, I'm, I'm a visual person. I mean, again, most of my working life has been spent in a visual pursuit. And um, a lot of the books that had a, a huge impact on me were actually books of art history with paintings and photographs. And I often found myself sort of making up stories there for myself. Um, I was kind of a weird kid, but there you go. <laughs> so, so I spent a lot of time with books of all sorts. And it was very encouraged. When when you say that um, that you have worked uh, in the in the visual arts, what what do you like? What has been your career path with that? Uh, well, I have been a graphic designer. In fact, I design book covers. So oh, that's um, fantastic. So I did that. Um, my parent my parents both worked at Simon and Schuster. My father art directed the book jackets. And my mother art directed the book interiors. I sometimes would go to their office. That was always fun. And I would steal jacket proofs out of my dad's <laughs> office and wrap up my textbooks. <laughs> with, you know, whatever the best sellers were of that, of that day, <laughs> which was fun. I think people, um, it, I don't know, it made, it made the textbooks more exciting, you know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, Julie, what was there ever any doubt that you would, uh, you know, work in publishing in one aspect or another? You know, growing up in in a family like that, in a home like that, is, uh, you know, you had such a a rare experience. That do you ever reflect on how rare that experience was? Well, I know it's unusual. I mean, I will say that. When I was a kid, um, another book that really affected me when I was young my, was a book my parents gave me called The Walls of Windy Troy, which was about the excavation of Troy. So for a while, I thought maybe I'll be an archaeologist. You know, I had all kinds of ideas. But um, it is true that I grew up in a family where paper, ink, books, this was the family business, and so to speak. Um, my brother was a photographer for a long time, so that wasn't so far off. Um, and it, it may be, it, I mean, in retrospect, there's a kind of feeling of inevitability, but um, it felt like a path that I kind of uh, walked along for a while until I was sure that that was what suited me. Um, I, I've done it a little differently than my parents did in that I've always been an independent worker. I've always been a freelancer. And maybe that's what allowed me to delve into writing when I felt moved to do so. Well, um, Julie, that that makes me uh, wonder, uh, 
I, I love to ask people who have been involved in other pursuits, other um, expressions uh, other than writing. Um, you know, some people it's acting, some people it's directing or writing screenplays, some people it's visual arts, some people it's singing or dancing. Um, but do you feel like your work in the visual arts um, has informed your writing? Do, do you feel like there are any shared tools or experiences um, that working in in this other medium, which seems completely disconnected, even though we know it's not. But, you know, on the surface, it seems disconnected from painting with words. Um, do, do you feel like there's any intersection between those pursuits? Well, I do, because I I think that with a visual medium, you know, you're trying to convey an emotion with with the materials that you have. Um, and I feel like in my writing, something that I work very hard at is sort of recreating um, the senses, you know, sen sensuous experiences in writing. So, in fact, in, in Ava and Eve, one of my goals was to sort of recapture a lost world of Vienna and its Jewish population before 1938. And it was such a rich, vibrant world, and Vienna was such a a particular place. So I kind of wanted everything, the smells, the food, the coffee houses, you know, I wanted to recapture all that. And I think that for me, I, when I was working on certain scenes, I would have a picture in my mind. And very much the way I think one does when you're working in a visual medium, you sort of have something in your head, and you're trying to get it onto a paper. And I often felt that's what I was doing, just using words to do that. Gotcha. Um, you you published um, a book called Perfection um, several years ago. W what was the uh, the impetus for for that book? Um, what was it that happened in your life that brought brought about this story that you needed to tell? Well, I was um, in my early 40s at the time, and I was married, and I had a, a young daughter, and uh, my husband died very suddenly just on a Wednesday afternoon in January, and that event was pretty, you know, was cataclysmic enough, but sure. then what happened is about six and a half or so months later, I discovered uh, through friends um, that my husband, in fact, had had an alternate life that had nothing to do with me um, and had been involved, in fact, with a number of other women. One of them, it sort of was just like your your sordid small town story. <laughs> it was um, the mother of one of my child's best friends. So it couldn't have gotten worse. I mean, it was just one of those, you know, you you can't make this stuff up kind of story. And I remember sitting in my backyard with a friend one afternoon and um, she was a playwright. So perhaps that's why it came to her. She said, you know, Julie, you should really write a book because this is just crazy. And I said, no, I don't think so. Cause I had no experience of course, doing anything like that. And then I had this experience. I think sometimes maybe this happens for other writers where sort of a mentor figure appears when you need it. Yeah. So I was at a yoga class maybe a week or two after that. 
experience. And this woman approached me. I knew her a bit. She was a journalist. I always found her kind of intimidating, to be honest. <laughs> she walked up to me and she said, uh, if, if I remember it right, she said, word on campus is you're writing a book. And I looked at her and just said, I don't know where you got that, but that's not what's happening. And she said, no, Julie, you don't understand. You have to do this. And then she invited me out to lunch. And I remember we sat there at a diner eating tuna melts. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. <laughs> and and uh, she sort of instructed me on how to how to do it. She said, go home, sit for 20 minutes in front of your computer. Don't censor, just write whatever comes out, and I'll see you in a week. <laughs> and it began like that. I, we had a few more lunches, if I remember right, and then I was on my own. But by that point, I was kind of invested <laughs> in the outcome. And um, there were days when I cursed that woman and wondered what she'd gotten me into, but ultimately she was sort of a, I don't know, a book angel. And here I am. <laughs> wow. Wow. When, when you started, you know, mining all of the emotions, um, that, that of course are wrapped up in, in your story and in, in your life that, that eventually made it to the page. Um, was there, did you know from the beginning, let me, let me ask it this way. Did you know from the beginning what the trajectory of, of that story would be? Um, because with a memoir, um, like that, we're, we're looking at a window of your life. It's, it's not, uh, you know, the, the complete story of Julie Metz from birth to, you know, where you are today, but it, it's a window. Um, how did you kind of come to the, the point where you framed the story and you understood what that, what the arc of that story would be? That's interesting. You know, I, I would say in both my books so far, um, I have, come to the structure rather late in the process. There may be, I sometimes imagine that maybe people who write mysteries or thrillers or detective novels kind of have an outline and, and an arc in mind, and maybe you'd need that. But for both my projects, that really hasn't been the case. I sort of write into it and the structure kind of reveals itself uh, sometimes um, in the, it happens in sort of that dark night of the soul of the writing experience <laughs> where you just are convinced you're never going to make sense of it. And then there is finally a eureka moment. I believe in patience. So I try to, on, on frustrating days, I just try to remind myself that the solution will appear if I just keep the doors open and don't allow, you know, don't sort of force things, but just wait for the right time to, for that to all appear. Sure. Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, 
update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. So after after you wrote the story and it eventually got published and you know it goes out to the world and and now you know this uh, you know perfection as as the book was called is a thing uh, now um, and and then you know now we're we're here today talking about Ava and Eve your new book but there was a, a period of time between those two books um, when you published that first book perfection. Um, did did you think okay? Well, this is this is a story that I needed to tell. Maybe it'll it'll help someone. Uh, you know, the, my story will connect with uh, with with an audience. And then you think, okay, I've I've done that. It it it's over. Um, you know, I can go on to you know whatever else it is that I'm doing with my life. Um, what what was the period between those two books like? Did did you did you know in the back of your mind that this other story, this family story that you're so deeply connected with would come about or um, kind of how did you go from, from that project to the new one? Well, actually um, the sort of inciting incident of this new book was that my mom passed away and that happened actually before perfection came out. So in a way I started investigating what would become this book while I was still working on perfection and finishing that and getting it ready for publication. And then there was a period after my first book was published where I was just engaged with, you know, the things that authors do when your book comes out, you know, all, all the, all the promotion. And then, but meanwhile, I was working on sort of family research for what would become Ava and Eve. I should say that at the time, I did not think it was a book necessarily. I was really doing the research for myself, but I started to understand that it would become a book um, a few years into the research. And then it just sort of took time to actually do the research because I wasn't a trained historian. And so I had to kind of learn that on the job. Uh, So it did take time to evolve and and then become what it, you know, what I was, uh, become a book, you know, become finished. When, before your mother passed, um, did you understand there was this family history? I mean, obviously you, you probably knew that, that your mother, um, was an immigrant and, and part of her story, but 
did you know the the depth of the complexities that you would go on to uncover? Well, I didn't really. I mean, uh, I think a lot of set, second generation, um, you know, children of Holocaust survivors. Um, I hear this story a lot that there were very few stories told. They were told maybe always in the same way, and you sort of understood there was a limit to how much you would get to hear. Um, it was after my mother died um, that I found this keepsake book in the back of a drawer. Um, it was way in the back of a drawer, <laughs> hidden under uh, hidden under clothing that I was moving and packing up. And when I pulled this book out, um, I showed it to my father and asked him if he'd ever seen it before. Um, he said no. And they had been married for about 54 years. So when I when he said that, I realized that there were that there was some secret pain, and that this book was holding it. And I think you know, as a um, as a visual person, I understood that an object could hold things like that. Um, and it was at that point that I knew I needed to, that it was a clue to something and that I wanted to know more. I didn't know what I'd find. I didn't even know if it was possible to find out anything because so many years had gone by. What I discovered was that there are many, many people who are researching this period and they were all incredibly generous with me with their time and um, answered questions endlessly. <laughs> So, so how do you go about, you you know, when you're when you're discovering your mother's story and and you find these keepsakes? Um, I would imagine that that I, I've done family history for for my family, and um, what you discover is that when you uncover one little nugget, that then brings about ten other questions, and then you start, you know, you set out to answer those ten questions, and they just uncover. 10 more questions per question that you answer and it just kind of yes. snowballs. Um, you know, when, when you're dealing with, uh, with immigrant parents, especially how do, how do you start tracing down these threads? And, and I know that it began just for, for your own, um, you know, edification, but, uh, you know, how do you first, first off, how do you start tracing down these things? Well, in my case, um, the the sort of connection that I had was that my mother had given an interview to an institute called the Leo Beck Institute in New York. And what they do is they collect first person narratives. And it, this was very old school. It came on an actual cassette tape. And at the time, I still owned a tape deck. But then after my mother died, by that point, I had, you know, past that tape deck on many years earlier. And um, so all I had was this kind of object, this sort of archival object. But after she died, I had it transferred so that I could listen to it and really, really consider the content in a new way. And then at that point, I reached out to the Institute itself and began working with one of their researchers. And his name uh, is Michael Simonson. He was incredibly generous for all the years that I worked on this. So he really started pointing me in directions. You know, he gave me things to read. He would tell me, he would make connections to people in Austria. One thing about Austria is that I know that some people, for example, who have a family history in Poland or say other uh, countries, that it can be more difficult 
but there usually is a way to get to some kind of archive. And in Austria, there is a lot. There's just a lot of history there. And once you are pointed, you know, once I got pointed in the right direction, then I went down all the rabbit holes. <laughs> Sometimes they were fruitful. Sometimes it's, at the time it seemed maybe this is a distraction and I'm getting bogged down. But I will say that every place I investigated, I learned something that ultimately was useful to me. And, um, you know, this included even researching the family of the uh, American vice consul who issued the visa that saved my mother's life and her parents. I was so curious about that because I knew that the quotas had been so low. And I wondered how they had managed to persuade this vice consul that they were going to be good immigrants, good American immigrants. So I went down so many avenues. I found it all, you know, fascinating. And then the challenge, of course, was to weave it into a story that would be, you know, would would interest other people. What was your experience with um, uh, knowing that this should be a book that goes out to the world? What was that similar? Um, to your experience with your first book where you're you're dealing with these emotions and and the the things that you're finding out and then someone says you know that this is a, a story that needs to be told um at what point did this go from being um a genealogical project for for your own benefit um to okay this is a story that that needs to go to a much wider audience well, in a way, it, it really was the changing political climate here where you started to see this this uh, kind of revival of uh, anti-immigrant feeling and xenophobia and very specifically this idea of America first. Um, I had just been reading a book. It was for research for my, for my project um, that I kind of wish every American could read. Um, it's called Behold America by Sarah Churchwell. And it's a history of the idea of America first and the American dream. So these two very central ideas. And what I did not know until I read that book is that America first as a concept has been around forever. It has always been anti-immigrant. That's really its nature. Uh, for a time, it was, it was the sort of... Um, uh, calling card of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, so it's always been this kind of, it, it's never been a good thing. Let's put it that way, in my opinion. It's always been uh, isolationist and xenophobic. And so when I started to see that reviving here, um, it felt very dangerous and very urgent to share a story about immigration um, and how um uh, how perilous really it is when we start looking at immigrants as other and we don't take the time to see that these are families that are desperate. Um, nobody wants to leave their home, really. They would prefer to stay in their home country. Um, my mother's family surely would have. They, they loved Austria. They were very proud and patriotic Austrians and they didn't want to leave. Um, they had to come here because they wanted to live. And um, I, feel, I felt that it was important for people to 
see immigrants with compassion and to also reject this idea of what is an American. We really need to rethink that notion um, and and be more open-minded about what an American is. In the middle of the book, um, Julie, you've got a collection of photographs and uh, well, I, I guess they're all photographs, but uh, some of them are um, photos of photos, or and some of them are are different collections of um, of uh, excuse me, my my mic uh, was cutting out there. Um, it, it's uh, a collection of uh, of keepsakes and, and photos in the book. Um, what uh, what was the um, the motivation behind collecting these and deciding what um, what artifacts to include and and you know it it really adds to the texture of the story to to see these things that that uh, and to remember these are real people and these are real events. Yeah, I was the photo collection. Um, it has always been a very emotional experience for me. Um, these are, this was a family, they, they came to the United States with two trunks. That was all they were allowed to bring. So you make choices about what you're going to bring. You know, you, you have to leave most of your belongings behind, but what they chose to bring was this very extensive photo collection. It's quite unusually intact. Um, now I've actually donated it to the Leo Beck Institute so that other people can use it for research purposes, but you really, it charts a family that it goes back to, I'm thinking the 1880s, there are a couple of the photos are, that they're not in the book, but um, but they are at the archive, um, where you see the origins of this family in Galicia, then they come to Vienna. You, you can see uh, just how um, integrated they were into Austrian life. Um, some people use the word assimilated. I don't really like to use that word anymore because a lot of historians I've talked to take issue with that. Um, I think the what I want the reason why I wanted to include the photos was really to show here was a family just like a lot of other families. They worked hard. They were they belonged to this city. They felt that they had a place there. They felt they, that their future was there. And then that all ended very abruptly in March of 1938, almost overnight. Oh, well, Eva and Eve is a fantastic read that I know uh, people are going to just fall in love with. Um, we're going to put links to the book in the show notes of this episode to make it easy for folks uh, to find it if they want to order it online or go visit your local bookstore. Uh, you know, more and more bookstores are opening back up and. Uh, so go grab it in in a uh, physical copy if if you can. Um, also, it's uh, available in audiobook. Is that right? Yes, and it's beautifully read. Um, in, you know, I was um, privileged that um, the, my publishing company allowed me to sort of audition. Um, you know, to to sample different actresses, and the actress I chose, um, I loved her voice because it was very musical. And um, I felt that it sort of seemed to capture something of that feeling of old Europe that I was looking for. She really does a beautiful job. Oh, that's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Um, we'll put links to that as well if folks want to grab the audiobook. Uh, Julie, if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? 
Well, I have my website is juliemetz.com and I'd also you know, invite people to follow me on Instagram where I'm at uh, juliemetzwriter, all one word. And uh, I post um, all kinds of their trailers for the book. Um, I post uh, adventures in the Hudson Valley, which is where I live, and uh, and writing adventures. And, um, you know, uh, there are lots of videos that I've made to um, uh, sort of uh, develop some of the ideas in the book. And I hope people will join me there. Great. We'll put links to the uh, website in the show notes as well. Julie, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.